Welcome to Life in Application. I'm your host, Jay Huey, along with my co-host, Jason Bierke. Um, Jason, today my question is going to be, how do you know you're truly saved? I mean, how do we know? Like, I'm, I've said the sinner's prayer a dozen times. I was taught, hey, get people to say the words and then they're saved. But how do we know? How do we have that peace, like that calmness that we're really truly saved? I mean, what... Is there a checklist? I mean, I, I, I know there's not a checklist, but um, per se, but how do we know that we're truly saved? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the, you know, the Philippian jailer from Acts chapter 16. So, you know, Paul and Silas are in jail and they're singing praises and you, you know the story. The earthquake comes and instead of everyone leaving, they stay there. The Philippian jailer says, you know, and uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 30 says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And when we read, you know, the most, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, which was also our grandpa's favorite verse, John three sixteen, everyone knows that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what's that word? Believeth believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so the idea here is it's the one who believes. But but how do you measure your belief? Like like take me for example. I I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know that that he did all this for me so that I could go to heaven. Of course I believe in him. But Jesus also talks about or the Bible also talks about how, you know, there's not going to be a lot of people in heaven. The, the pathway is, is narrow compared to the way to hell. And I'm like, almost everyone I know believes that Jesus died on the cross and died mm-hmm. for their sins. But that doesn't mean that they're saved just because they believe that part of it. So, I mean, what what is it when someone asks you, like if someone asks you, how do you, how do you prove that you believe? How do I know that? How do I know I believe enough? What, what's the actual answer? Not another verse. I don't need another verse. Right? right. No, that's fair. And so you know, it's it's interesting. And I do want to say this. You know, so the Bible says in in uh, James chapter two, I think it's verse nineteen, that the demons believe that there's one God, and they tremble. Right. So they believe that there's a single God that should be followed, should, that should be worshipped. The, the thing is, is that the word believe, right? In English, it comes out believe, but in Greek, it's a lot different. It's a different word picture. So it's a, you know, a, a total commitment. It's a um, completely buying in. It's a total surrender, a complete following. And so when we, when we look at that, it's not so much a checklist. Like I was actually talking about this with my son, Ethan, a couple of years ago. He was worried that he really wasn't saved that he didn't say the sinner's prayer the right way. And I said, well, as long as you said the same thing that the thief on the cross said, you'll be saved. And he said, well, Dad, the thief on the cross didn't say anything. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, the Ethiopian eunuch, when the Apostle Philip was talking to him in his chariot, you got to say what he said. He's like, well, he didn't say anything either. And I said, you're right. I said, in fact, no one in the Bible, you know, repeated or said a prayer it was a belief and so you look at and in romans it says if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord 
right, and believe in your heart that God has raised them from the dead, you know, you'll be saved. And one of the things that we forget is that, you know, in John 3, 3, it says that you must be born again. And so what does this rebirth look like? Well, it's a completely changed life. When you look at John chapter 4, the woman at the well, she had, you know, a terrible reputation. She had been married, you know. All right, hold on one second. All right. This is the standard Bible answer I've heard my whole life. Okay. You're given the pitch perfect answers. Okay. I'm not, I'm not downplaying your answer at all, but if, if I came up to you as a, as someone you didn't know and you asked me, am I a Christian? Mm-hmm. And, and I said, yes. And you asked me, well, how do I back it up? I, I want to know what to tell you. I want to know how to say that I want to know how to 100% convey my faith to someone else. Like, because I still sin. I mean, I'm still a person. Right. And then, you know, I, and, and I know we view a little bit different on this, and it's a whole nother topic about losing your salvation or not losing your salvation. But, you know, I, I still sin daily. I, I try not to. I pray every morning. But how, how do you know if you believe, like when you're explaining that to Ethan, and this is going to be a perfect example because God talks about children all the time, but, how do you get him to trust his faith? That, that's what I want to know. Like, if someone came up to you, like Ethan, like, how, how do you get him to trust his faith? Well, it's, you know, it's what you, you know, it's what you believe. You know, we, we make things sometimes more, a little more complicated than what it is. You know, and you're right, you know, the, the road is narrow that, that leads to life. And, you know, it's often said that, you know, everybody wants... To be saved, not everybody wants a savior. No one wants to have a Lord over their life. And so one of the hallmark tests of, you know, are you truly a follower of Christ is are you willing to do what the Bible tells you? Are you willing to do what's required of you? And what's required? Well, there's, you know, to, to, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. The Bible says that. The Bible tells us, um, that if you love God, you'll keep his commands. 1 John 2, 3 says, says that. Um, also says in verse 6 of 1 John chapter 2 that um, if we claim that we follow Christ, we'll walk or we'll live the way that, that he did. And so it's, you know, it's always a fine line. You know, people say, well, you know, for by, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We all know that verse. Correct. Right? How many times have you heard the next verse read. Oh. And here's verse 10. For your God's masterpiece, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us. So God has created good works for us to do. right? And that's not that these good works saves us, but it's these good works that are evidence that we are truly followers of Christ. And that's what uh, James 2, 24 through 26 teaches that. I guess there's been multiple times in my life where I, I would say I wasn't walking very c- close to God, where, you know, there was times where I doubted my own salvation, like, am I saved? And then I go back, well, when I was, you know, six, six or seven, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I grew up my whole life believing that Jesus Christ is the Savior, but 
What's the difference between, and, and you hit on it just a little bit, and I'd like you to expound on it. What's the difference between the knowledge of knowing it? Like, am I truly believing that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, or am I just acknowledging that there's one God? Because, I mean, that, that brought up a good point. I never really thought of it like that. So if you could expound on that. Because am I just acknowledging that there's only one God, or am I believing that there's one God that sent his son to die for me? Yeah, so that great question, and uh, one of my favorite, um, you know, passages in Scripture is the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's considered the greatest sermon ever preached. The very end, like the climax of, you know, the, the sermon was Jesus talking about the wise and the foolish builders. And we often overlook this, right? But the wise and the foolish builders had a lot in common. The Bible says that they both heard the words of Christ. We know that they understood the words of Christ because they went and they did what was asked. They went and they built a house. There was one thing different between the two. It's not just the location. It was the wise man, the Bible says, put it into practice. So the foolish man heard, understood, and did something about it, built the house, but he didn't really put it into practice. And that's why he said it was like he was built on the sand. His life was on the sand, and when the storms came, his house was utterly destroyed. Those that are true followers, you know, they're the ones that hear the words of God, and they want to put it into practice. And so that's the difference between just a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. The heart knowledge says, something is required of me, and I want to do it. I guess that's really hard though. Like it's, it's like, I know Jesus made it or God made it easy for us to get to heaven. You know, mm-hmm. he, he made it as easy. I mean, he gave us the ultimate sacrifice so that right. it would be easy. But at the same time, like there's like growing up, there was lots of people I knew that, you know, whether they'd be preacher sons or youth pastors, sons and daughters that, you know, you'd be at camp when you were 14, 15 and you were there with me at the rice ranch. Um, and then they'd be going up there for an altar call because they didn't think they were ever saved. And I always wondered, you know, I always sat in the back with a smirk on my face like, dude, you've been saved your whole life. But I, I guess the, the, the question I have is how would someone, especially like a, a new Christian or a young Christian or someone who didn't know the Bible knowledge that me and you were fortunate enough to have growing up, how would they know that they don't, that they actually believe it and they're not actually just acknowledging it? Because like, that's a great word, and I've never actually heard a word of that way in uh, hundreds and hundreds of right. of uh, things. And that's the whole reason why we're doing this is because of the life right. application. Because I've often done it myself. Like, am I? Do I believe enough? Is my belief like? Is there like a a benchmark of belief? Like, am I just acknowledging that Jesus? That I know that there's a God and Savior, or do I actually truly believe that Jesus died for my sins? Like, how? How would I know if I truly believe that or if I'm just saying the words? Like, explain to me how, how I would know if I'm truly believing or, like, what when you say God has works for us, like, what, what are those? I mean, like, what is that that I when I sin, I know that I'm doing wrong and God's speaking to me like, dude, come on. No, it's, you know, the, the good works are things that we do for him. So maybe it's at work you, you witness to people or... You know, at, at work, you, you have a good testimony. You know, I, th- I think one of the things that we all always overlook is 
the Bible says that, you know, if we claim that we love God, or if we claim that we follow God, if we claim that we're a servant of God, there's two things that we'll do. Keep his commands, and we'll live the way that he lived. Love God and love others. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. We're not saved by our works, but our works demonstrate that we have been saved. It's, you know, like you love your kids, right? So as someone said, Jay, you know, do, do you love your kids? You'll say, yes. And if they say, well, what's the evidence of that? You can say, well, I gave them a home to live in for so many years. I'm helping pay for the college. I buy this and I do that. I, I care for them. You know, I pray for them. These are the things that I, I do. I, I don't, because I do these things, doesn't make me their father, but because I'm their father, I want to do these things. You know, that is probably, in all my years, the best example of it being applied. <laughs> well, thank no, I'm you. just saying. I mean, it, it's so hard because it, it's so hard as, <clears throat> as these last couple of years, I've been really working on my testimony at work. And uh, most of these questions that we're going to have in life and application are going to be questions that I get asked at work because um, I'm asking Jason with very little preparation so that I can, I really want to get the application part, not the straight right. up Bible part. But, you know, like wording it like that was probably the most easy way for someone to be able to see it using the analogy. Because you can see it as a, as as love, as a parent, right. you can see what you just explained as a, an actual application for it. So I do really appreciate you for that. So, which brings me into another question, though. Because... I know a lot of people, they, they doubt their salvation because of other factors in their life. Like, um, for many years I smoked. I knew smoking was bad. Um, but never once while I was smoking did I ever feel like uh, God was tugging on my coat strings like, or the Holy Spirit was tugging on there going, Jay, you need to stop or whatnot. But I do have a lot of friends that have vices or whatnot in their lives that they feel that if they keep sinning, knowing that they're doing that, that they're not truly saved because if they were truly saved, they wouldn't be still sinning. So, and I know this is going to be a whole other topic down the road, but can you quickly talk about how how sin will affect our belief? Like how, how sin will attack your belief in God? Yeah, and you know... I I think one of the things that you said is that, you know, you said that you knew it was wrong to smoke, right? So the Holy Spirit doesn't have to convince you of that, right? So, you know, the lack of the conviction on that on your part, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit not convicting you doesn't mean that it wasn't sin because you already knew it. The Holy Spirit is to reveal things to you that you didn't think about before. No, that's a good point. Right. And so, and here, here's the thing that, you know, that I always share with people is that, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 talks, covers almost every type of sin that there is. And it says, include, you know, lying, and it even includes lying, right? And it says, those that practice these, they're not going into heaven. And so it doesn't mean that if you've committed those, that you're not going to heaven. It's those who thumb their nose at following Christ and say, well, you know what? This is how I am. I should have the right to do this. This is my, this is what I want to do. And so... That is not the heart of someone who is a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ, you know, you're a believer. So, you know, when something's taught in Bible that you've never read before, and you see that, well, you believe it, and you're a follower, which means that if you don't realize something and the, someone says, hey, the Bible says this, 
Well, you follow it because you're a follower in Christ. And so verse 10, which we've never, I never heard growing up, right? It says, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleaned, you've been sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been cleaned, we've been cleansed, we've been set free from those. We just have to choose to not do those. And, you know, sinning doesn't make you a non-believer, what is evidence of being a non-believer is that you don't care and you justify it and you say, I'm going to do it anyways. All right. I'm going to ask you another question. It's kind of be all over the map kind of thing. Okay. But um, I guess I look at there's going to be a lot of people at Judgment Day that are going to be in the line for judgment over the line for the Book of Life that know all these things. Like, I mean, I grew up just like you did where... We went and got soul winning. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we went out and witnessed the people and our whole goal was to get them to recite the Lord's Prayer. And, and now I have, um, I don't know the word of shame or regret, but, but I stopped at that point. Like, I don't know if that person's saved. I mean, I grew up thinking that that person's saved because they said the Lord's Prayer. But all they did was acknowledge that they said some words on a thing. They didn't actually... And, and, and hopefully they all did. I mean, hopefully they all do believe. I mean, I'm, obviously that's my prayer, but what, what would you tell a young Christian when he's witnessing, you know, like how, how do you follow up if someone asks you how to go to heaven? You know, and, and, and the, the, Lord, the sinner's prayer is a great prayer to, for, that initial, for that initial step, but how do you get them now to work on that belief? Or is you just now to invite them to church and let the Holy Spirit do their job. But I mean, as a Christian, you're supposed to also guide them, you know, so I'd, I'd like your input on that. Yeah. And, you know, so the Great Commission, when Jesus, just before he went back to heaven, he gave his, the Great Commission to his disciples, Matthew, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, going into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, discipling them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Right? And he says, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, or end of the world. Right, And so we know, what our, we know what's asked of us. That's plan A. Jesus doesn't have a plan B to evangelize the world outside of you know, us believers. That's plan A. It's the only plan. And so you know, we may not do it perfectly, but it doesn't mean, you know, and I know you weren't saying this, but it doesn't mean that we stop doing it. We may not be good at it, but it doesn't mean that we don't do it. You know, getting people to recite, you know, the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is not found in Scripture. It's a combination of, you know, you know, Romans, you know, the Romans road, right? Right. And and I understand that. I think, you know, the the thing that we want to make sure that we understand is that, you know, we have a responsibility to be responsible with people. And so if I if I'm evangelizing and you know someone wants to you know, pray and receive Christ, then I'm going to help them with that. I can help them in their next step, which is, let me help you get into a good church. If they don't want to go, then, you know, that's not so much on me. It doesn't mean that they really weren't saved. You know, it's, let's let God work with them on that. You know, it's been said that those who have been truly saved will want to be in church, will want to be discipled, you know, Right. All right. So this has been a great talk. And I just want to, because I think 
the application part was great about the example that you gave um, of the father loving his kids. Like, just because he did all those things didn't make him the dad. You know, it was the, the love, the want to do all those things. So I just want you to recap that as we close out this session. So the application was, the things you do for your children doesn't make you their father, but it's because you are their father that you want to do those things. And the same thing in our Christian life. I think one of the best evidences of a, of a Christian life is a changed life. And I know that's a little bit different for kids who get saved at a young age, but at that point, it's a differentiating life. Our lives are different than the world's life because we're walking on a different path. Well, I can honestly tell you, since we started talking a couple of years ago, um, and I was one of those kids that was saved at an early age, mm-hmm. did all the things, but I was really reborn or really changed my life just a couple of years ago. Not to say that I was in a bad spot, but yeah, you know. So I really do appreciate your answer tonight, Jason, and I think you you hit it right on the head. That's what I was looking for. Well, good, and thank I, you. I really appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful night, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.